Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey guys, welcome back. We are on episode 21. This week we are studying the assignment for May 27th through June 2nd, and this is Joseph Smith, Matthew 1. Matthew 25, Mark 12 through 13, and Luke 21. And the title of this episode is The Son of Man Shall Come. So we got lots of stuff going on in this episode. Just a quick rundown of some of the things that we're going to be talking about. I can tell you the bulk of it is the signs that Christ is giving to his followers and his disciples about the destruction of the temple at Jerusalem. You know, that gets destroyed a couple of decades after his crucifixion. And so he's giving them signs and warnings about that. But then he's also giving signs and warnings about the second coming that we are looking forward to in our day. So there's lots of good stuff for us there. He also give several really well-known parables in this section that we read this week. There's the parable of the ten virgins, there's the parable of the sheep and goats, there's the parable of the fig tree, and the parable of the widow's mite. I think that's pretty much it. And you'll catch up as we go along. Okay, so that's, that's, that's my version of this week's rundown. You know, I'm still trying to get the rundown right. I don't really know what I'm doing with it, but I want to make sure you guys know what we're talking about if you haven't already read the reading material. So that's what we got going on this week. Okay, so we're going to start out with the introduction here. And again, we're talking about like the second coming and the destruction of the temple at Jerusalem, that kind of thing. And the introduction for Come Follow Me says, things that seem even more stable than the temple in Jerusalem will prove to be temporary. Things like the sun and the moon and the stars and the nations and the sea. Even the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And that's from Joseph Smith, Matthew 1, 33. If we are spiritually aware, this commotion shall teach us to put our trust in something truly permanent. As Jesus promised, heaven and earth shall pass away, yet my words shall not pass away. And whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And that's from Joseph Smith, Matthew 1, 35 and 37. Okay, so come follow me. Let's talk about come follow me this week. Um, It starts off talking about Joseph Smith Matthew, and it says, what is Joseph Smith Matthew? Well, Joseph Smith Matthew, located in the Pearl of Great Price, is an excerpt from the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. It contains revisions to the last verse of Matthew 23 and then all of Matthew 24. This is Joseph Smith's inspired revisions that restore precious truths that have been lost. And it says specifically to look at verses 12 through 21 of Joseph Smith Matthew refer to the destruction of the Jerusalem temple anciently. And then verses 21 through 55 contain prophecies about the last days. And so I was like, what is the difference between the two? I'm really curious about this. So the nerd that I am, (laughs) and I will post this for you so you can see it, I created an Excel spreadsheet where in one column I have all of Matthew 23, last verse, and then Matthew 24. And then next to it I've matched up Joseph Smith Matthew. And so it's matched up verse by verse. And I've got like little markers where like, you know, there's things that are different or things that are left out or things that are changed and stuff like that. So you can go in and you can see it. Um, 
as far as I can tell, I think a lot of the Joseph Smith translation stuff is clarification on some of the things that we have there in Matthew 24. Um, it also tends to help clarify the stuff that's supposed to happen there in Jerusalem versus the stuff that's supposed to happen in the last days. And so I see Joseph Smith as a Latter-day prophet, you know, seeing very specifically those things that are supposed to happen in the last days and using this translation to kind of identify those for us so that we can be aware of what's going to happen and we can watch out for it so that, you know, when the crazy tornado and straight line winds and hailstorm and stuff come for us, we know how to be prepared. Because that's what this chapter is all about, is, hey, the second coming coming is coming, but hey, be prepared. Okay? So, I will post that Excel spreadsheet so you can see kind of like the similarities and the differences between the Bible and Joseph Smith Matthew. Just look for it on my Facebook page. Next section in Come Follow Me is prophecies about the Savior's second coming can help me face the future with faith. It can be unsettling to read about the events leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus prophesied of these events, he told his disciples to not be troubled. How can you be not troubled as you hear about earthquakes and wars and deceptions and famines? Think about this question as you read these verses. Mark or note any reassuring counsel you find. Well, it's funny because I was, you know, as I was reading this section this week, I was actually doing research on the Ten Virgins instead of this section, but I came across this conference talk and I was like, boom, this covers both, you know, this section of Come Follow Me and also the Ten Virgins. And um, this is from April 2004 General Conference. It's Elder Down H. Oaks, and he says, preparation for the second coming. And he's got lots of really good, you know, solid stuff for us to focus on when it talks about the second coming. Now, I will tell you, I'm not going to go too deep into the like the prophecies surrounding the second coming, at least not today, because I feel like we're going to cover those a lot when we get to Revelations. So this is going to be much more about like how do we prepare, like how do we how do we prepare, how do we keep ourselves from not freaking out, and not worrying about them, but instead trusting in in God. You know, when we're in the middle of those rainstorms, how do we stay focused and stay safe? So here we go. This is preparation for the second coming by Dallin H. Oaks. He says, four matters are indisputable to Latter-day Saints. Number one, the Savior will return to earth in power and great glory to reign personally during a millennium of righteousness and peace. And by the way, guys, that sounds awesome. I'm really excited for that. All right, number two, at the time of his coming, there will be destruction of the wicked and a resurrection of the righteous. Number three, no one knows the time of his coming, and we read that a lot in the scripture selections this week. But, number four, the faithful are taught to study the signs of it and to be prepared for it. I wish to speak about the fourth of these great realities, the signs of the second coming and what we should do to prepare for it. The Savior taught us this in the parable of the fig tree, which we see in Joseph Smith 1, 38-39. The fig tree whose tender new branches gave a sign of the upcoming summer. So, you know, you've got a fig tree. This is Lexi. You've got a fig tree and the leaves are coming out. And that's how you know spring and summer are coming, right? Down H. Oaks continues. So likewise, when the elect shall see the signs of his coming, like those little leaves of the fig tree, right? They shall know that he is near, even at the doors. Biblical and modern prophecies give many signs of the second coming. So some of the signs that we see of the second coming. The fullness of the gospel restored and preached in all the world for a witness to all nations. And I think that that is something we know, first of all, the fullness of the gospel has been restored. Okay, so check. 
that's off our list. But the second thing, the preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, this is happening. Like, I mean, the gospel is going worldwide. And here's the thing. Even in the places where maybe like the gospel is not allowed, they still have the internet. There's still places where they can still be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ online. And so I think it is amazing the power and the knowledge and just the spreading of Christ throughout the entire world. Um, Number two, not so amazing, but this sign of the second coming is false Christs and false prophets deceiving many. I think we see that. Three is wars and rumors of wars with nation rising against nation. Oh yeah, we definitely see that. I mean, everywhere we see that. There's always some, some nation somewhere that's mad at somebody else, right? Four is earthquakes in diverse places. We're seeing that a lot. Five is famine and pestilence. I don't know how much we see that here. That may be happening in other continents, but I don't know that we necessarily see famine and pestilence. We might see famine and pestilence more in the form of not necessarily like they did like in Moses's time or in the Old Testament, but I think there may be a famine of spirituality in our land and maybe there is a plague of wickedness, right? Famine and pestilence could be more symbolic. Sixth is an overflowing scourge, a desolating sickness covering the land. And we're seeing that a lot. Um, People are ill with all kinds of different things. I think cancer could be a huge part of this. Um, And just lots of chronic illness everywhere you go. Everyone's got something, right? Seven is iniquity abounding. Check. We definitely have that. The whole earth in commotion. Okay, so I have kind of a story about, you know, the earth being in commotion and being protected in the middle of it. So when I hear about the earth being in commotion, I think about, like, all the natural disasters we have, like the hurricanes that are coming. And again, you know, we talked about earthquakes a little bit ago and famine and pestilence. But, you know, there's other stuff, too. There's drought everywhere. There's tornadoes. There's, I mean, just all kinds of crazy natural disasters. And so this week, I actually had a really cool experience of being protected in one of those natural disasters. Huntsville, the city that I live in, is one of the most tornado-prone cities in the country. And you can look it up. Dr. Forbes from the Weather Channel has actually listed us as the top tornado city in the country. Um, So we're very used to tornadoes here. It's actually something, you know, tornado season is kind of ending now, so that's really good. And earlier this week, I was out. I was at a doctor's appointment. The doctor's appointment ran long, and it kind of got to the point where I could either go back to work or I could stay home for the rest of the day and just take a personal day. Like, I had that choice. And I decided, you know what? I just feel like I need to stay home. Like, I think I'm just going to take a personal day, just take some time to relax. You know, I could go in. There's stuff I need to do. But I'm like, I really just feel like I just need to stay home. And so I stayed home. I I was like, well, I didn't stay home. I left the doctor's appointment. And since I decided I wasn't going back to work, you know, I I told them and everything. I was like, well, I'm just going to run to Chick-fil-A. I'm going to run to Chick-fil-A. And so, you know, I get in line at Chick-fil-A. And, you know, the line at Chick-fil-A is always like three lanes of traffic, like trying to get into Chick-fil-A. So that took a little while. And while I'm in line at Chick-fil-A, I'm noticing that it's starting to rain. No big real worry there because we'd known in the forecast that there was going to be some heavy rain that day. Like I really wasn't too concerned about it, right? And so I'm going through the line. I do my order. I get up, you know, and I'm getting my food. I notice that the rain's kind of picking up. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's, you know, again, predicted this, like totally normal, not worried. And so I plowed the Chick-fil-A parking lot and there's like buckets start dumping out of the sky. And I'm like, well, this is a little heavier than usual, but I think it's okay. So I'm just going to keep going. And then all of a sudden my phone goes off and it's tornado warning. And I'm like, 
what? Because here's the thing. Our system that we have here in my county is supposed to be specific so that, you know, because our county is a big, big place. And so if they call out a tornado warning for the county, there can be a tornado up in like the north part of my county. And if I'm in south part of my county, I'm okay, right? And so it's supposed to warn specifically where you are. And so the fact that there's a tornado warning like going off on my phone, I'm like, what? And all of a sudden I start hearing the sirens and I'm like, what is going on? And so I am like clicking on the radio stations on my car no one's reporting anything and I'm like what is going on and so you know I'm driving home in this pouring rain like I can barely see two feet in front of me I'm trying to get home and you know work is calling me because they're trying to figure out what's going on they're like hoping that I know something I don't know anything and you know everyone just doesn't know anything because we were not expecting this usually when there's like tornado weather or bad weather of some sort severe weather we have a couple days heads up and there was like no indication at all to expect any of this and so I'm on my way home, driving and trying to find information out and just praying like, Lord, please let me be safe. Let my home be safe. Let my family be safe. Let, you know, my school be safe. Let just please protect and place your hands over everyone in the storm, you know, and just praying at like the top of my heart (laughs) instead of the top of my lungs. I'm just praying at the top of my heart. And so I get home and I turn on the news and what had happened is there was a squall line that ran from north to south in my county and it was just passing west to east through. So, I mean, it was hitting everything. I mean, it even extended past the county, like up into the next state and down the counties below us and it was just going through. And squall lines are fairly typical to us. Um, We get them pretty regularly, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But what happened in this particular case is that instead of being a normal straight line, there was an area in the squall line that started to bow out. It kind of made like a little like hump in the squall line. And when that happens, the winds start kind of curving and they become, you know, kind of there's a little bit of circulation. There was a wall cloud sided. They saw the circulation on the radar. And I mean, like, it just needed that tiny little push and there would have been a tornado. And so that was what set everything off. And so afterwards, once everything's passed through and I'm watching the news and I start watching the damage reports come in. So it wasn't an actual tornado, but there was enough of the straight line winds. And straight line winds can be just as dangerous as a tornado. It's just the direction that they're going. Straight line winds are, like it sounds, they go straight. And when they start curving and rotating, then it becomes a tornado. So straight line winds is like tornado winds just straight. Okay, so it turned out that there were straight line winds is what caused all this damage. And I see the damage reports come in and I start seeing these photos of the area that got the damage. And the area that was damaged is exactly where I would have been driving if I had not decided to stay home. It was out there near my school and I would have been on the road in that area when that little bow happened out of the squall line and those straight line winds hit and I mean there were signs down there was trees knocked into cars I mean it was it was pretty dangerous there I think they said that the winds were actually like 80 miles per hour so I go back and I see these damage pictures I see the pictures that our local college took of you know the wall cloud that came through and I'm like oh my gosh like Heavenly Father protected me in this instance yeah I had to drive through buckets of rain and everything but I got home safely and I was at home safely. I wasn't out there in the middle of this crazy, you know, tornadic situation. I was really grateful to my Heavenly Father for that moment. Um, And I really saw his hands and how he protected me. And I have faith that in situations like that in the future, that he will continue to protect me. As our world becomes more and more in commotion, we're going to see more and more disasters, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, all that stuff. 
placing our faith in God, I'm not saying he will always 100% of the time protect you because sometimes bad stuff just happens, right? There are good people that get stuck in the middle of tornadoes. There are good people that get stuck in the middle of hurricanes and it still happens. But I believe that if we place our faith in God, that he will, number one, protect us as much as it is in his will. Okay, but then also if bad stuff does happen and we happen to be in one of those things, he's also going to help us get through it. Right. And so that's what I think is really important to put our faith in as we talk about these end times type things. And number nine, men's hearts failing them. I think we are actually seeing that with a rise in, like literally with a rise in heart disease and heart disease, both with men and women. And then I also think we're seeing that as we become a more cruel and callous and inhumane kind of people. You know, the more violence or the more sexual content that we have on TV, the more our hearts become hardened. And so that can be our hearts failing us because, you know, we're kind of turning our sensitivity to that kind of stuff off. These signs of the second coming are all around us, and they seem to be increasing in frequency and intensity. The accelerating pattern of natural disasters in the last few decades is ominous. This is what Dallin H. Oaks said in 2004, 15 years ago. He said the accelerating pattern is ominous. That was 15 years ago. What is the pattern today? Very, very ominous, right? I tend to think, this is me personally, Lexi. I'm not speaking for the church or for anybody else. But I personally tend to think that the second coming is a whole lot closer than we think it is. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So in the face of all this, how do we not fear? Dallin H. Oaks says, are we following the Lord's command to stand ye in holy places and be not moved until the day of the Lord comes, for behold, it cometh quickly. And that's from DNC 87.8. What are those holy places? Dallin H. Oaks says, Surely they include the temple, its covenants faithfully kept. Surely they include a home where children are treasured and parents are respected. Surely the holy places include our posts of duty assigned by priesthood authority, including missions and callings faithfully fulfilled in branches, wards, and stakes. As the Savior taught in his prophecy of the second coming, and this is what we read this week, Blessed is the faithful and wise servant who is attending to his duty when the Lord comes. As the prophet Nephi taught of that day, the righteous need not fear. And modern revelation promises that the Lord shall have power over his saints. We are surrounded by challenges on all sides, but with faith in God, we trust the blessings he has promised those who keep his commandments. We have faith in the future, and we are preparing for that future. We will continue to go forward till the purposes of God shall be accomplished, and the great Jehovah shall say the work is done. Wherefore, the Savior tells us, be faithful, praying always, having your lamps trimmed and burning, and oil with you. Okay, so we're talking a little bit about the ten virgins there, right? That ye may be ready at the coming of the bridegroom. For behold, verily, verily, I say unto you that I come quickly. And that's from DNC 33, 17 through 18. Okay, so basically it's saying that if you are living righteously and you're standing in those holy places and you're doing what you're supposed to do, you need not have fear. And I think that's because whether we see Christ because of an unexpected early demise, you know, every minute we have is a gift from God. So if if our life was to be taken away in the next minute, would we be prepared to see him? If we have a second coming tomorrow, would we be prepared to see him? You know, as long as we're standing in holy places and doing the things that he's asked us to do, I think the answer is yes. We don't have fear of that. Down a joke says, what if the day of his coming were tomorrow? If we knew that we would meet the Lord tomorrow through our premature death or through his unexpected coming, what would we do today? What confessions would we make? What practices would we discontinue? What accounts would we settle? 
What forgiveness would we extend? What testimonies would we bear? If we would do these things then, why not do them now? Why not seek peace while peace can be attained? If our lamps of preparation are drawn back, let us start immediately to replenish them. All right, and this is something I actually considered. A couple years ago, I had to have surgery, and as I'm getting ready for surgery, they have you sign that living will thing where they, you know, if something happens, do you want them to take drastic medical measures? Do you want to be resuscitated? Like, you have to answer all those questions. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is just a really easy little surgery, but I'm still having to fill all this out. And it made me really start thinking, like, mortality. Like if something happens during the surgery, like, am I okay meeting my savior the way that I am currently living my life? And it was amazing to me to kind of have a moment to kind of counsel with my father in heaven. And I realized that, yeah, I'm, I'm not perfect. And I don't think that father in heaven expects perfection from me, but I feel like I'm living my life the very best way that I know how. And I feel like I'm coming closer to him. I feel like he's proud of me. It was a moment where it was almost like a temple recommend interview or, you know, I was kind of going through the temple recommend questions in my head and I'm like, heavenly father, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And, you know, and he was like, yeah, you're good. You're good, Lexi. You know, if you were to meet me tomorrow, you're good. You're okay. You're, you're doing what you're supposed to. And that was such a comforting feeling to me. And so that's something that I've strived for, you know, now in my life. I'm like, am I living a life that I would be okay, you know, if like Down H. Oak says, what if the day was his coming was tomorrow, through a premature death or through his unexpected coming? What would we do, do today? And I have to say, I don't think I would do anything differently. I mean, um, again, I'm not perfect, guys. Like, please don't take it that way because I'm not perfect. But I believe that I'm trying to do the very best that I can. And I believe I'm trying to live as the Lord would want me to live. And so I'm trying not to have anything undone, if that makes sense. So that's my thought on that. Okay, but speaking of, like, what do we need to do to prepare for the Lord's coming? That is our next section in Come, Follow Me. It says, I must always be ready for the Savior's second coming. God has not revealed the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. That's from Matthew 25, 13. But he does not want the day to come upon us unaware. From Luke 21, 34. So he's given us counsel on how to prepare. As you read these verses, identify the parables and the other comparisons the Savior used to teach us to always be prepared for his second coming. And what do you learn from them? And what are you inspired to do? Okay, so this is where I started focusing, you know, my women in the scriptures. I love them. So the 10 virgins. And actually, I want to talk about the 15 virgins. And I know you guys are like, 15 virgins? What is she talking about? Like, what is the deal? Okay, so we're going to talk about the 10 first. And then I want to talk to you about, like, the extra five, I think, that we need to add into this parable to make it a little bit more applicable to some of us, okay? But first off, talking about the original ten, um, we're going back into the talk by Dallin H. Oaks, and he says, While we are powerless to alter the fact of the second coming and unable to know its exact time, we can accelerate our own preparation and try to influence the preparation of those around us. A parable that contains important and challenging teaching on the subject is the parable of the ten virgins. Of this parable, the Lord said, And at that day when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled, which I spake concerning the ten virgins. And this is from D&C 45:56. He says, and this is continuing on after 56:57, For they that are wise and have received truth and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived, verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide that day. 
58. And when the earth shall be given unto them for their inheritance, they shall multiply and wax strong, and their children shall grow up without sin unto salvation. 59. For the Lord shall be in their midst, and his glory shall be upon them, and he will be their king and their caregiver. Okay, back to Dallin H. Oaks. Given in the 25th chapter of Matthew, this parable contrasts the circumstances of the five foolish and the five wise virgins. All ten were invited to the wedding feast, but only half of them came prepared with the oil in their lamps when the bridegroom came. The five who were prepared went into the marriage feast and the door was shut. And the five who had delayed their preparations came late. The door had been closed and the Lord denied them entrance saying, I know you not, from Matthew 25, 12. Watch, therefore, the Savior concluded, for you know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And so this actually reminds me a lot of our Sermon on the Mount, where he's talking about, you know, people will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say unto them, I know you not, right? That, that kind of reminds me of that a lot. And going into this parable, well, first of all, I'll tell you, this parable has always bothered me, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But going into this parable, you know, we've got these ten virgins, and in this particular context, it just means young, unmarried women. That's what virgins means in this particular context. So we've got these 10 young unmarried women. You think about like the young women in your ward. There's 10 of them, right? And they're waiting outside this door for the bridegroom to come. And what happened is during the wedding ceremonies, they would happen at night. And so a lot of times the bridegroom would show up to like an appointed place to meet the bride. And then he and the bride, they would walk with their family members and their friends. They would have these oil lamps and they'd walk next to them and it would be a celebration of light and of joy. And they'd walk next to them on like their ceremonial wedding walk or whatever. And so that's what they were waiting to do. I guess while they were waiting, you know, they got sleepy and some of the, five of the virgins, they realized that their oil had run out of their lamp, and so they went to go get more oil. You guys know this story, right? Well, I started thinking about it. And so I'm like, you know, we've got the five who are ready. They are prepared. They've been nurturing their testimony. They've been strengthening their testimony. And they are ready for the Lord. They are comfortable in his presence and with his light. Then you've got the five whose oil, they did not bring enough oil, and they've run out, and so they ask their sisters, like, hey, can we have some of your oil? And they reply, no, because then we won't have enough. And this is correct, because, you know, to me, for a long time, this sounded mean. I was like, really? They can't share? Like, what's the deal? But no, really, you can't share your testimony, right? Like, the preparation that I've put into myself, like, I can share my little light and, you know, light others' way, but I can't give, like, the preparation that I've done on myself to somebody else, right? And so that's what they're saying in this. So I think the reason that these five who have not prepared themselves are in trouble is because they've run out of oil and they try and go cover that fact up by running away to those who sell oil. Like they're like, oh no, the Savior is here. I am in trouble. Let me go really quick and fix this and see if I can, you know, take care of this, right? I think that's kind of like their mindset. And this is where the 15 versions come in, because I think that there is a third set of young women here. We've got five more that I want to add into this parable, because I see it a lot, actually. And these are those who are there. They've got their little lamp. They have brought enough oil. They've trimmed their wicks the way it's supposed to. But for whatever reason, their lamp will not light. Okay? So they're sitting there, and they see... Their sisters who have, you know, everything that they've done right, same thing that they've done, their sister's lamps are on fire and they're casting beautiful light. Their lamps are still dark though. And I think that if they were to sit there and wait, instead of running off and going and getting more oil like the other five did, 
sit there and wait. When the bridegroom comes and opens the door and, and welcomes everyone in, if they are there waiting for him, I believe that the light that he casts will be enough to light their lamps. And this is who I equate it to. I equate it to people in the church who they are doing everything right, they are living righteously, they are following God's commandments, and they don't feel that light or that peace inside. They have kind of a crisis of faith, right? And if you look in the scriptures, we have all kinds of different examples of people who have crises of faith. Crises? Crises? I don't know the plural for that, but that have a crisis of faith, right? Michael McLean, there's a really interesting article. It's on LDS Living, and I'll, I'll post it on my Facebook. talks about how he had a nine-year crisis of faith. This is Michael McLean, like the guy who like wrote the song, You're Not Alone, like that one, right? And Hold On, The Light Will Come, like all these different songs. And he talks about, you know, going through this crisis where he just felt empty inside and he was doing everything he was supposed to, but he would sit there in sacrament meeting and be like, why don't I feel anything? You know, he's like, and he actually started planning an exit strategy from the church, he says. And he was like, you know, but then what do I tell all the people who I've written these songs for? Like, uh, actually, you really are alone and don't hold on because the light's not coming. Like, what do I tell them, right? And so he just kind of kept holding on and holding on. And he said the thing that helped him was actually reading a biography about Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa had a 49-year crisis of faith. So if we're thinking, you know, yeah, man, the last couple of months have been really hard. Okay, Mother Teresa, 49 years crisis of faith, okay? He, from readings and her different letters and things like that where she was communicating, he kind of like took faith from that and took some, you know, security from that. And then one night he had a dream that Mother Teresa came and he was accompanying her on the piano as she was singing. And part of the song that she was singing, it said, I'm holding on to promises that my heart no longer feels. And Michael McLean at that moment said, okay, so I've made promises to God and I still believe in those promises. Even though I'm not feeling the light currently in my life, I believe in the promises that I've made and I'm going to keep those promises. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to keep taking the sacrament and I'm going to keep doing what I need to do and what I know I need to be doing and have faith that one day the light will come. He said during this time, it was like the heavens had been bolted shut. Like, I mean, there was no communication or anything like that from his heavenly father. He just didn't feel like there was anything coming from him. And then about nine years after this crisis of faith, you know, and he had that dream, he sat down and all of a sudden it was like an entire new album of music had been downloaded to him. And you can find it. It's called Encountering Jesus. And it's about various different interpretations of the people in the New Testament that Christ encountered during his mortal ministry. And so it's um, all these different interpretations of their different encounters. But um, so he just pretty much wrote it. And a lot of it addressed a lot of the reasons that he had that crisis of faith. And he said he found a special comfort in the testimony of John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist being in jail and saying, is he really Jesus? Is this really Jesus? And sending his disciples out to go talk to Christ and you know he says watch this and he shows them the miracles so they can go back and say yeah look he's doing all the miracles that Isaiah said he would right Michael McLean said he took great faith from that and he said there's others you know in the scriptures that we talk about Joseph Smith and Liberty Jail huge crisis of faith right and Michael McLean has this really great story about how his dad 
was asked to give a talk in um, sacrament meeting, and it was Easter sacrament meeting, and his dad was suffering from, I think, some dementia, and so he was really concerned about his dad and how he was going to carry out this talk. And so he's standing there, like, you know, really near, ready to run up to the stand and grab his dad if he needs to, or if something crazy starts coming out. His dad starts out, and he starts talking about God. He starts talking about how God is amazing and the Father is amazing and He is omnipotent and He is omnipresent and He is, you know, more infinite than we can even imagine. And He goes on like this for like several minutes. And Michael McLean says he's in the back, like trying to wave his hands, be like, Dad, it's Easter. We need to talk about Jesus. Like, Jesus, Dad, come on. We need to talk about Jesus. He says his dad is just going on and on and on about Heavenly Father and all this, how he's so magnificent and he's amazing. And he gets to the end and he says, now that we know how amazing our father in heaven is, isn't it amazing that when his son was on the cross, he trusted him enough to leave him in darkness, right? He withdrew from Christ when he was on the cross and he trusted him enough that he would still hold true and do what he needed to do when his father in heaven wasn't reaching out to him. How much trust and faith did the most magnificent being in the universe have in his son to be able to do that? And so when we have crises of faith, when our little oil lamps have gone dark, does our Heavenly Father have faith in us that we will continue to make the right choices, that we will continue to sit by the door waiting for the bridegroom to come, even if our lamp is dark? You know, I'll tell you, there have been times in my life where I have felt so just apart from my father in heaven. I think depression does that. I don't know. I like, I really, when I get to the other side, this is one of the questions that I want to ask. I'm like, what is the mechanism in our brain that when we are depressed, that we stop feeling God's love and stop feeling God's spirit? Because I really feel like it dampens our ability to feel the spirit of God. And it's not like it's necessarily anything that we've done wrong. I really want to know why that is. But, um, those little virgins with their lamps, again, this isn't gospel, this is Lexi making up, but the little virgins, virgins with their lamps that are trimmed, that have oil in them, and they're not lit up, have just been on my mind a lot this week. So if there are any of you struggling out there who feel like you are doing everything right, who feel like you are trying with all your might to come unto Christ, but it's not happening, I want you to know to keep doing it. Your Father in Heaven is aware, but your Heavenly Father hears you, and you're not alone. Like Michael McLean says, you're not alone. We just feel that way sometimes. Henry B. Eyring has a really good talk about it. And the thing is, is I don't think God went anywhere. I think what's happened is God trusts us and he has faith in us that we will continue to keep doing what we need to do, even if we aren't feeling his light and his love around us. And eventually that will be lifted. It's like a tunnel, like you're on a train, right? And you go through those dark times, but you come out and there's light on the other side. And maybe that dark time is like six days. Maybe it's six weeks. Maybe it's six months. Maybe like Michael McLean is closer to six years. His was nine years. Or maybe like Mother Teresa, it's going to be like 49 years. We just don't know. But we need to hold on to the promises that we've made. Keep our lamps filled. Keep our lamps trimmed, being ready for the bridegroom. And trust that when he comes, the fact that we are there and the fact that we are ready will light those lamps. I also think, you know, if we're going into this like whole 
you know, the parable and analogy and things like that, you know, as people are walking along with the bride and bridegroom to the wedding with their lamps and stuff like that, there was enough light for everybody. Even if their lamp was dark, they could have walked alongside and basked in the light of the entire wedding party. Whereas instead of trying to run off and go buy more oil and cover up, you know, their unpreparation, right? So to those who are struggling, I would say keep being prepared. Keep holding on to those promises. Even if your heart is no longer feeling it, just keep holding on, guys. When you feel those dark times in your life, hold on. Like Michael McLean says, the light will come. That's the the 15 virgins, right? The parable of the 15 virgins that I've got for you. So up next, we have in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, we have the parable of the talents. So, you know, you've got these three different guys, one that gets a whole bunch of talents and one that gets kind of like a little bit of talents and then one who gets like one talent and he goes and hides it where the other two like invest the talents and they, you know, double them and they're able to come back to the master and say, hey, look, here you go. And um, it's really pretty amazing, right? So in the Savior's time, this is come follow me. It's what it says. It says, in the Savior's time, a talent referred to money, but the Lord's parable of the talents can teach us about how he wants us to use any of the blessings he has given us. The Lord expects us to improve upon what he has already given us. And as you read this parable, make a list of some of the blessings and opportunities that Heavenly Father has given to you. What does he expect you to do with these blessings? And how can you use these gifts more wisely? How have your talents been magnified as you have served the Lord? Okay, so I really felt the Spirit was directing me this week as I was thinking about this towards patriarchal blessings. So if you have not had your patriarchal blessing, I definitely recommend that you get it. Talk to your bishop. It is an amazing, amazing experience. But also, in most patriarchal blessings, there is a section that talks about specific gifts that you have been given and assignments that you have been given for your mission here in life. I actually found this Ensign article. It's from the April 2017 Ensign article called Understanding Your Patriarchal Blessing. There's a section in it called Developing Gifts and Talents. And it says, Your patriarchal blessing can also mention spiritual gifts and talents that the Lord has given to you to build up his kingdom. If your blessing mentions a talent that is unfamiliar to you, this could be because you may not have had the chance to discover or develop this talent. Through diligent seeking and the help of the Lord, you can grow to embody this talent and many more. Developing your talents helps you recognize the unique things that you, and only you, can contribute to the Lord's work. Joanna Blackwell of California, USA, ponders the gifts and talents in her blessings when she feels tempted to compare herself with others. She says, As I look over the words of my patriarchal blessing, I am reminded that I have been blessed with the gifts I have personally needed to overcome trials and participate in the hastening of the Lord's work. My blessing tells me of my ability to love, forgive, and have the courage to mingle with those around me. This is Joanna still talking. As I've practiced these gifts, the Lord has blessed me with an increased desire to encounter and connect with new people and cultures. Consequently, my testimony has grown that we are all children of a loving Heavenly Father, and I've been able to serve others as we seek to be more like Christ. So I started thinking about this, and I started looking at my patriarchal blessing. And it was really interesting because there is one specific section in my patriarchal blessing that talks about specific gifts that I have been given that will enable me to advise and teach and counsel and lead those around me to help them work out salvation in their own lives and in the lives of their family. 
And guys, I had never even thought of it before, but I'm sitting there and I'm reading my patriarchal blessing that I've read, you know, a million times before and I'm reading it and this paragraph jumps out at me and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my podcast. I am counseling and advising you guys in any way that I can to help you work out your own salvation, the salvation of your families. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is Heavenly Father like helping me out because, and I was even thinking about this today. I'm like, when I started this podcast, I had no idea what it would grow into. I had no idea what it would be like. I had no idea if I would even be able to continue it past the like second or third week, right? Um, Because continuity, not my strong point. And so I feel like the Lord has really given me a gift when I'm doing this podcast. These episodes just come like they're downloaded straight from heaven, kind of like Michael McLean had with his songs. Um, On the weeks that are really difficult, I find that if I can get spiritually in tune, then that's what it's like. On other weeks, he tends to make it where I'm led on certain topics. Like this week, I felt really strongly I needed to talk to those who felt like they were sitting in the dark. And I felt like I needed to talk to those about patriarchal blessings. Maybe get their patriarchal blessing or go reread your patriarchal blessing. Like those were two topics I felt like I really needed to touch on here in this week's lesson. Other weeks, I feel really drawn to like learn about the culture. And that's when we sister frizzle it up, right? And those are all, I guess, natural leanings that I would have as just Lexi. But I think that the Lord enhances that because I do have, you know, you listeners out there and I hope that I am helping your lives and I hope that I'm blessing your lives with this podcast. I know it's blessed my life exponentially. So um, I feel like I've come much closer to my Savior and I hope that my testimony is helping lead others to my Savior as well and helping you guys lead your families to our Savior. So that's one way I've seen that gift kind of magnified. Another thing I have seen in my life, we have a God that is able to give us beauty for ashes. So he takes the bad stuff and he can make good out of it. So I know that the parts of my life where life is hard or times in my life where time has been hard, my experiences where I'm like, you know, the depression or whatever that I've gone through. Yeah, I don't think that the Lord gave that to me. I don't necessarily think that that was something that, like, I don't think he gives stuff like cancer, right? He doesn't give depression out. Like, that's that's not necessarily a gift. But what he does is he takes beauty out of it. And the beauty that he has taken out of it is the gift to be able to tell people who are in the same experience, guys, you can make it. You can do it. He's still there and he still loves you. And to be able to testify as one who has lived through it and is standing on the other side, that you can do it too. You know, when you feel like you're drowning in those waves, like I've lived there and I've been able to get through it to the other side and you can too. There's light at the end of this tunnel, right? And I feel like that's a gift that the Father has given me as well, is to see meaning in the valleys that I've walked through or the mountains that I've had to climb in my life, to see lessons and the lessons that I've learned from it and be able to take those lessons and bless the lives of others with it. So I think that's another gift that I've seen the Lord kind of enhance in my life. Um, Something else I've seen him enhance is that I love working with the youth. I have always just really enjoyed working with the youth, which is interesting because my patriarchal blessing specifically mentions that I have been blessed to work with women. It says nothing about working with youth. I'm just, I'm supposed to be able to work really well with women, which I do. I'm in a very female driven profession and, you know, in the schools and I've always been in a very female driven profession and I get along very well with, with other women, but the youth is really where my heart is at and where I feel God has really, you know, placed in my heart. I feel like he's really enhanced my talents and my patience as I've worked with both, you know, teenagers and then also with my primary kids. You know, I walked in there the first Sunday and there was one little boy in particular. I was like, oh man, 
He is going to give me so much trouble. Like, I am not going to be able to handle him. I just don't know if I'm going to have patience. Like, I was just really concerned about this little boy. And now this little boy is like my lap cat. Like, I come into primary and I sit down and he's in my lap. He's just so snuggly and loving. And, you know, yeah, he's a little hyper or whatever. But, you know, the Lord gave me like a tremendous gift when he gave me the love that I have for this little boy. And, you know, I prayed for this, I pray for this little boy. I pray for all my primary kids by name. I pray for all my primary workers each and every day. Um, my primary presidency, I pray for all of them. And just the love that I have for all those I work with within my calling is amazing to me. And that's another gift I see from my Heavenly Father. So, okay. <laughs> I feel like I went like way off on a tangent. But I think I answered those questions. Okay, so list of blessings and opportunities Heavenly Father's given to you. Check. I answered that. What does he expect you to do with these blessings? Bless the lives of others. And that's another thing. I think, you know, yeah, I gained some good stuff from these blessings, like the podcast. I've, it's really, really strengthened my testimony. And, you know, looking at some of the rough stuff I've been through and seeing the good, that really strengthens my testimony of my father's love as well. So I get a little bit of a kickback from it. But I feel like most of the time, these blessings that I have, I've been given to spread his light and his love to others. Like, I feel like they are totally for other people, not necessarily for me. So what does he expect you to do with these blessings? Bless the lives of others. Lead them to Christ. That's what he expects me to do with these blessings. How can you use these gifts more wisely? Learn about them. You know, I talked about in one of the other episodes, I went back and listened to the first episode of this podcast, and it was so rough. And just like the sound equipment was awful and the acoustics, and it was just rough. And so as I've learned you know, how to do better and how to be better. And I'm diving into the scriptures and trying to learn more about him so I can do a better episode for you guys. And I think he's helped and blessed me in that way that he's given me or led me to resources that would give me the knowledge and experience that I need to be able to to make my gifts better and to enhance them. Same thing with working with kids. You know, the classes I took when I was getting my master's degree about child development or about, you know, the emotional needs of children. And, you know, of course it was library science. So we talked a lot about the, how literature can be like bibliotherapy for adolescents and things like that too. That has all been so helpful to me as I work with these kids in the different ages that they're in. And, you know, I think he expects us to search out ways to expand and expound our gifts like those um, servants in the parable of the talents. You know, he doesn't expect us just to bury it and hide it away. He expects us to go out and find ways to make those gifts bigger than they would be if we just like ignored them right? I think a lot of times if we ignore our gifts, they're kind of like a muscle. They kind of wither away. The more we use them and the more we seek out to learn about them and the more we share them with others, the bigger that they'll grow. That's kind of what I feel like he's telling me to do, how I can use these gifts more wisely and how they've been magnified as they've served, as I've served the Lord. Oh, just greatly. Like I feel like anytime he calls me to do something, he gives me the, the gifts that I need to get that job done. And so that's a blessing to me as well. So one other thing I want to talk about with the parable of the talents that I thought was interesting. The one that had the one talent, they call him the slothful servant, right? And he says, then, and this is in Matthew 25, 24, then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid my talent in the earth. And the Lord answered unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest I reap where I sowed not, and gathereth where I am not strawed. So to me, I'm looking at this, and, you know, these talents are a blessing. And I say that, you know, here in the parable, but also, you know, the talents in our lives are blessings. 
But here in the parable, these were a gift. And so he gave the first servant 10 talents, right? And he gave the second servant two talents. They were his gift to give, right? He gave them free. And um, he didn't tell them, hey, go make more. He just said, hey, here you go. I've given you these, these gifts. And, you know, when they come back, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't see any evidence of the hard man that this guy, this lawful servant is describing. Reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And so I was thinking about this this week and I was listening to a podcast and it kind of like illuminated this for me a little bit because what better way to describe Christ than someone who has reaping what he has not sown. He is reaping our sins. He has not planted those sins. He's not created those sins, but he is the one who is taking them on. Gathering where thou hast not strawed. Again, he hasn't sinned. He hasn't created any sin, but he's gathering up our sins and he's taking them on himself. So what are we when we go to him and he's given us this gift of taking on our sins, leading us back to the Father, the atonement, and we said, uh, well, you know, I really didn't want this gift, so I kind of went and I hid it, and I really didn't do anything with it. Like, yeah, I could see why that would be a bad and slothful servant, right? Christ is offering us this amazing gift of, you know, life with our Heavenly Father, and He's taking on our sins for us, and to go and hide that gift and not use it like the other two used, their, used the gift that their master gave them like, that would be really sad. So that was another interpretation of this particular parable that I got this week. And I have to tell you guys, this is one of the reasons I love parables, because you can get so many different meanings out of them. Um, Of course, you have to be careful that they're correct. And a lot of times, you know, I just depend on the Spirit to help me with that. So when we see these parables, like there's so much symbolism here. Like there's the symbolism of taking the talents and the gifts that the Lord has given you and blessing others' lives with it, taking them, making them more than they are right now and doubling them, right? instead of hiding them, like underneath a little bushel, right? And then there's also the other meaning that you could take out of this where it's Christ and Christ coming in and reaping where he is sowed not and, you know, taking up straw, gathering up straw where he is strawed not and us taking that gift and either making something out of it or hiding it away. You know, there's just so many different takes on it. And I just really love that about parables. So that's what I got from the Heavenly Father expects me to use his gifts wisely this week. Okay, I just looked at the clock and oh my holy, we were running out of time. So um, there's one more section that I really want to talk to you guys a lot about. And it's that another parable, right? Okay, so this is the section in Come Follow Me called When I Serve Others, I Am Serving God. And this is the parable of the sheep and the goats, okay? It's in Matthew 25, 32, 33, 34. And in 32 we read, And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from his goats. And he shall set the sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Okay, so what will matter most when you stand before Christ? And then he talks about, you know, clothe the naked, you've helped those in prison, you've fed the hungry, and they're like, well, Lord, when did we do these things? And he says, you know, even if you have done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And then he talks to the people who are the goats, and they, they said, you know, you didn't feed the hungry, and you didn't visit those in prison, and you didn't clothe the naked. And they're like, well, Lord, when did we see you? And he's like, well, as you did unto the least of these, you also did to me, right? Okay. So I want to talk to you guys about this because I'm like, what is the deal with the sheep and the goats? Because, you know, I don't know very much about sheep and goats, I will tell you honestly, but 
I am not a particular fan of sheep. Like they kind of smell bad and I really don't even like eating lamb because it I feel like I'm eating like a wool sweater. Like I just don't like sheep smell and they're kind of dumb and they're just from my personal, you know, interaction with them. I'm not a big fan of sheep. Goats, on the other hand, they're pretty cute. Like they're pretty funny. They'll eat anything you throw at them. I mean, they're, they're just kind of, kind of hilarious. I mean, we, even as a society, we've caught on to this because we have goat yoga and, you know, we'll go do yoga with goats and they make really good cheese, whereas sheep cheese, not so good, right? So to an agricultural society, I think this would, this parable makes a whole lot more sense. We are not an agricultural society, at least for the most part. Okay. So I was like, what if I go in here and I change the animals up and I change it to cats and dogs? Okay, so in 32, right, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as you know, Lexi, me, a homeowner, divideth her cat from her dog. So if we look at cats and dogs, they do different things. They're different animals. You know, my cat, she runs around after a red dot like a crazy person. She poops in a box, and she likes to sleep all day in the sun. That's what cats do. That's just catty things, right? Whereas my dog, he likes to bark at everyone that comes to the door. You know, he likes to go on walks outside. He likes to chew on things. I mean, that's just doggy stuff that he does, right? He's a dog. So I think a lot of times we are tempted to take this parable and we're tempted to make it about works. They clothed the naked and they visited those in prison. They fed the hungry and that's why they're going to be seated on the right hand of God. But here's the deal. When we begin the parable and it says he divided them one from another, a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, the cats from the dogs. Okay. When we are accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior, it changes who we are. We become a cat or if we deny Christ, we become a dog. I'm no, no preference against the animals, okay? Because if asked, I probably would say I like my dog a little bit better. I like my cat. But here's the deal. So he divides us. He makes us something new in Christ. We become, like, let's say the cats are on his right hand. We become a cat in Christ. So as a cat in Christ, we start doing cat-like things for Christ, right? And in this particular instance, cats feed the hungry, and they clothe the naked, and they visit the, those in prison, and that's what cats do. That's their cat-like thing that they do. And dogs in this particular instance do not feed the hungry and they do not clothe the naked and they do not visit those in prison. That's what dogs do. They don't do those things. So I think what he is saying is that necessarily it's not all about works. This is about a combination of works and grace. Okay. And I think that this combination and finding this combination is really hard for a lot of us, um, especially in our church, that it's really hard to find the right balance on this because we think we can do everything possible and we will be saved because of all the works that we've done. And the reality of it is, is that no, we are saved because of Christ and we are saved because of Christ's atonement. And when we are his, we want to follow him and we want to become new creatures in Christ and we want to act like new creatures in Christ. Okay. And so that's what I get out of this parable is that as a creature created in Christ, then this is the stuff that I want to do. I want to be feeding the hungry. I want to be clothing the naked. And I want to be visiting those in prison. And again, these could all be symbolic things. Feeding the spiritually hungry, you know, visiting those in spiritual prisons, that kind of thing. We become those new creatures in Christ. Does that make more sense? The cats and dogs makes a little bit more sense than the sheep and the goats. But that's kind of what he was saying, is that when you are mine, you become a different type of creature than you were before. You have these different traits that this creature has, and you become more like me. You have traits like me. You know, someone even once told me that Christian means little Christs. So we become little Christs. We follow him around, and we follow him, and we imitate him. And that's why we can be on his right hand. So that's what I got out of the parable of the sheep and the goats. 
And I think we are out of time. I think we have run out of time. Sorry, I had a lot to say this week. (laughs) I apologize. I hope you got through it. Um, I love you guys. You are amazing. I hope you will keep reading. Reach out to me if you have any thoughts or comments. TheSaviorSaid at gmail.com. And I hope you have an awesome week. Keep reading. Keep trying to be like Jesus. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.